Hi, this is Jen Lee, and you are listening to Feeling Circle. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to kick off episode one. Today, I invited my really good friend, Me Too Win. Uh, Me Too is such a special person to me. We first met in college at Berkeley, and our friendship really bloomed post-grad when we entered the tech corporate world trying to navigate career, life, relationships. Me Too is known for his intentional and methodical approach to challenges, and he's really become my mentor in emotional work. He's the first person I go to when I have situations to process. Um, He is now married to the love of his life, Sam Kim, and is currently a senior product manager in the Bay Area. Welcome, me too. Yay, thanks for having me. (laughs) Did I miss anything in the intro? Was there anything else that you'd probably add before we get started and go into the topic of emotional work and emotional processing? Yes, I guess just like things to know about me. So I'm a gay Christian Vietnamese American shaped by being raised by Vietnam War refugees. Um, I'm a youngest son of two, so like I have an older sister. I grew up in a French school in San Francisco, and then I met Sam, as you mentioned, and most of my chosen family and like my closest friends at UC Berkeley through the collegiate dance community. I'm very much an anxious introvert, so I'm great at introspection, but I also heavily overthink things. <laughs> um, and shout out to Movement, that Colgate dance uh, <laughs> group you mentioned. Um, how did growing up Vietnamese American shape you? Vietnamese Americans aren't monolithic identity, so I'll speak to my specific experience. I think there are kind of three themes about growing up Vietnamese American that shaped me. One is the obligation of familiar roles. The second is the culture of optics and reputation. The third is the anxiety of not belonging. So on the obligation of familial roles, there's this heavy emphasis on your family legacy. So even in like my family, the way that we name our children, um, everyone has a V, essentially like all the males in my family are named similarly. So we're all like men something. There's like a similar thing on uh, on the female side within my mom's family. Um, and so those kind of names kind of carry down generation to generation. So there's this very like clear, I guess, like, line that's drawn between you and everything that you do and, like, all your past ancestors. I'm also the youngest son, so there's a very specific dynamic in maybe maybe even just, like, more broadly an Asian family as the youngest son, because, like, as the only son, then you're responsible for carrying on the family name and passing that down. Um, With my mom specifically, she was also the youngest child in her family. And so there's a specific, I guess, like worldview of like how the youngest child of the family should be treated. So they're typically like really babied. There's a lot of burden placed on the older siblings and like that can create resentment. Um, So there's all that dynamic. Um, And then, yeah, just that the general mentality of like blood is thicker than the water mentality in like the not accurate sense of it, but where they're like, Oh, like your core nuclear family trumps everything and anything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then I guess on the culture of optics and reputation, just really caring about how you present yourself to the external world. Very much a like don't air your dirty laundry outside of the family type of mentality. It's really common for 
parents to, like, brag about their kids. Um, but it was to the point where, like, my parents would even lie about the achievements we had. So if we got, like, second place in a race, which is still great, like, they had to say that we got first place instead. Or if it's, like, if we got an A minus or, like, an 18 out of 20, they'd be like, oh, we got a 20, 20, 20 out of 20. Just kind of, like, always bending the truth because they always need to one-up each other and, like, be their best selves externally. Um, For some reason, the exaggeration thing, like, that is definitely within my family, too. And I noticed I've adopted it, too. When I'm sharing just news and achievements of, like, family and friends, I definitely embellish. And I, I realize I need to not do that. Yeah, that's a good call out of just, like, always pursuing objective truth as much as we can because any exaggeration or skew can just just change the situation altogether yeah yeah i feel like you kind of mentioned just like the the thoughts that you say to yourself are so important and i feel like Mm -hmm. when you need to bend the truth when you talk to people then you're inherently saying the original thing is not valuable enough to be shared or to be valued, whether that's like an achievement or a person. That's something I've thought about a lot. Yeah, that's really good. Um, And then lastly, I know you mentioned anxiety of not belonging. What can you share about that? That's at the intersection of so many different like cultures or situations. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, like I might look Asian, I don't look like a white American. And so that dynamic of being treated sort of like as an other even though I was um, like raised born and raised in San Francisco and growing up in the French school also being one of the very few Asian people like I was like the token Asian so feeling kind of separated in that regards too um it kind of feels like a theme in my life because I'm like in synchronized swimming then I was like the only male synchro swimmer in my club and in most of the competitions that I was at and then like as a gay Christian like that's usually kind of a conflict. It feels like a betrayal in the gay community to be Christian, but then it within the Christian community, then you're also like, I don't know what kind of Christian you are, if you're like cool with me or not. Um, and so there's that kind of fear and anxiety too. I always feel like I'm dipping my toes in different cultures, but never fully part of it. I mean, all of those three things are so relevant and can explain why emotional work and emotional processing was top of mind. So obligation of familial roles, culture of optics and reputation, anxiety of not belonging, so, so relevant. And I know I can relate to, yeah, pretty much all of those things. So let's dive into the emotional work and emotional processing aspect. First off, why don't we define it? What do you, like, what does emotional processing and emotional work mean to you? Emotional processing is what everyone does to interpret an action and turn a reaction into a response. So this is something that everyone naturally does, whether you've done emotional work or not. Um, It's just like kind of, yeah, it's inherently part of how we process the world. And then emotional work is the journey to process your emotions as objectively and compassionately as possible. And this involves, you know, taking the time to introspect, identifying your pains and insecurities, making a plan to perform the practices to come to peace with them, then ultimately 
in whatever situation you're in, making the choice to manage your emotions before responding to a person or situation. So you say objectively and as compassionately as possible. Why do you narrow it down to those two things? Why is that important? So we kind of talked a little bit earlier about the importance of the truth. And the interesting thing with emotions that it can skew your view of what the truth is. Um, there can be an action that happens and your emotions determine how you're actually reacting to that action and then you're attributing it a specific intention or value. And so what I find helpful about emotional work is there are a lot of things that can drive your initial emotions that get triggered by a certain action. But by doing this like emotional work and a more objective emotional processing before you react to a situation, then you can essentially separate maybe like your history and why you might react to something and kind of see the event or the action more closely to like what it actually truly is. Yeah, I think this goes hand in hand with like projection and like inserting your own meaning into certain situations, even if you are the person on the receiving end. I've definitely been in situations where me and the other person, we saw the situation so differently. Um, and so that just makes so much sense that it has to do with also your emotional state and how you emotional process like it plays a role with how you see certain situations for sure yeah i think that's why being objective is important i think that's why i also think about needing to do it compassionately as well i think there's a point where i only thought of it as processing it objectively what that misses is then understanding the context and emotions that another person might be going through because they're also emotionally processing in like a different way. So sometimes to get to the objective truth, you actually have to go through compassion and understand where the other person is coming from to then be able to separate your emotional response. So for example, let's say like you, like we were supposed to meet up um, and then you like flake last minute. I could say, oh, objectively, it is rude to flake. So that's really effed up, <laughs> but um, but then I think going the path of compassion can then be like, oh, I wonder why she needs to flake because I know normally she wouldn't. So something important must have happened or like something pretty bad. Um, so I think that's why it's important to pair the two. Yeah, I think something about through a lens of compassion can also just be a different way of living life. Because I can think about people I know who are super compassionate and the way that they live their life seems to be a little bit more fuller and just connected. Whereas people that I know that are super black and white, it's hard to connect with those types of people. So I think there's value in prioritizing compassion. Also, just like when I think of compassion, I also immediately thought of curiosity and assuming the best in people. So like when something bad happens, when you assume the best in someone, then you come more with curiosity as to like, oh, what happened? 
and there's just more room for connection. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Maybe what you're alluding to is like not having that curiosity and having a very black and white view of the world to me actually feels a little bit self-centered in the sense that like the way that you get to that kind of outcome is because in your mind you're saying I have seen all the potential reasons for something to happen in the world I know all of it and I wouldn't do this thing therefore it is objectively right or wrong being curious being open-minded giving people the benefit of the doubt there's actually some humility around understanding at your core that like there are certain situations that you will never know and that you will never understand or experience that doesn't mean that that person is inherently wrong it's just something that you haven't lived yourself um Mm -hmm. and yeah i i agree that that creates the opportunity for more connection Mm. i love humility humility has been a value i don't know just an anchor to this world it's also freaking hard to always prioritize that because it could be so easily forgotten. Yeah. I feel like humility as an Asian American is also quite challenging because at least like in our backgrounds, I think we were, our upbringing was really shaped by being forced to be humble and to respect authority. And so our journey then of like coming of age is kind of trying to get past that, building our own self-confidence. Um, but then there is that tension then of like, yes, you should be confident about yourself and you should love yourself and you can do that with humility. That is a balance to search for in our journey. Yeah, it is. It's the journey. When did you start paying attention to emotional work and emotional processing? For me growing up, Um, My mother was undiagnosed bipolar, which meant that she would swing from these really intense manic episodes, which would usually come out as like either she'd be really angry or just like overly like excited or like needing to like binge shop or things like that. And then she would swing to these really deep um, depressive states where she was like, sometimes borderline suicidal or like very um like feeling like she was like very alone very unloved no matter what you did or said um and so in both cases that led to a lot of conflict and arguments within the family um because those like emotional swings um skewed her view of what like truly happened in so many scenarios in those arguments with her i it would be really clear to me that emotional processing just completely transforms the interpretation of like what I would have thought as an objective, factual thing. Being on the receiving end of that, I could also see how frustrating it is when you have such a skewed view of the world. Um, And so I think from that experience, then I like never wanted to do that to someone else. Um, And so I found it really important for me to make sure that I was processing my thoughts and emotions as objectively as possible. Can you walk us through the steps of emotional processing um, using an example? One kind of example is how I came to be aware of my anxiety of not belonging. One of the first things I focused on for myself on how I wanted to 
um, like do emotional work to like figure that part out. It kind of started in middle school from me just feeling generally really lonely. I kind of talked about how like culturally I just didn't feel like I fit in with, you know, my school, with Americans, with my like synchro club, in the Christian community or in the gay community or even in my family because at that point I was like still closeted. Um, so I think that compounded with all these arguments that I had with my mom where she was essentially kind of telling me that I was this like awful, hateful, unloving and undeserving son of hers. It forced a lot of those feelings that like I didn't belong or I wasn't worthy. That shaped my outlook on life and people um, to the point where like my parents used to joke that like I hated people. My dad even got me this like Christmas sweater that's something along the lines of just like, oh, like I hate everyone. Um, Sorry, that's not funny. <laughs> I'm so, laughing like, for that comic relief. Um, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny. At my lowest point in middle school, I had this kind of profound experience where um, it was like a very spiritual experience for me where I could see myself surrounded by loved ones and I like had this very intense feeling of just being fully loved and accepted. It was like just this like brief moment, but it felt like such a weight was lifted for me. And so it became really clear to me that like that was the feeling I should be striving for in life and not this like very heavy, pessimistic worldview where it's just like nobody is good enough and nobody is going to like truly love you and like all these things um and to a certain extent i could see that more pessimistic view in my parents and i could see how like after all those years it landed them in this place of still being lonely realizing that and kind of naming those feelings was really important to me um and i think after that every time I would still like kind of revolve to my more pessimistic negative view, I would recognize that those thoughts were happening. And I would ask myself the question of like, does this align with what I just told myself I'm trying to strive for, which is this feeling of like being loved and accepted. And it's like, in most cases that did not align. So keeping myself in check and thinking about that, I would think and pray a lot um, about why in that moment, I wasn't feeling like how I did in my very spiritual experience. All of that introspection um, and really trying to understand why I was feeling that way helped me diagnose that it was ultimately this like fear and anxiety about not belonging that was leading to me not feeling loved or feeling insecure in a lot of relationships, um, which then would create this defense mechanism in me of that not wanting to get too close or like putting people down before they could put me down. Yeah, recognizing uh, yeah. the external pressures and separating yourself from those external pressures to then like look at your situation from a bird's eye view is such a hard skill to do because then it like gives you the ability to understand, okay, there's all these the situation I'm in creates this anxiety of not belonging, but I could find the situations where I do have more control and in how I show up to shape my emotions or like shape how I react to these emotions, right? How did you get to the point of recognizing the external situations 
and the external pressures that were pushing down on you, how were you able to then find like the willpower and like the insight to challenge those external pressures and know that that was outside of you that you didn't necessarily have to internalize? This isn't like a great scientific way, but at least for me, it was that feeling of being loved in my spiritual experience that like, that felt like, for whatever reason, like that felt more like the truth in my heart than the more negative, hateful things I would have felt. So I think using that to just anchor my values and beliefs ultimately helped then drive the more micro decisions of like, okay, then like, while I'm talking to this person and they're pissing me off, then like, how do I show up in this moment? It wasn't like black and white where like all of a sudden I became this beautifully nice person <laughs> that like loved the world. Um, like it took years uh, and honestly it's still an ongoing journey to get to where I want. Uh, what would you say are some of the like skills that you've gotten really comfortable exercising when it comes to emotional processing? And then we'll get into the areas of opportunity that you have to grow. But what what are some of the things that you've gotten really good at? I mentioned like naming my feelings more specifically. Because um, I think the more detail that can be in naming whatever emotion I'm having, um, the more effective I can be in managing and like essentially like diagnosing it and managing it. Um, and that will then kind of also drive what I should do from there internally, or even like what my response should be. Being more forgiving to myself, I mentioned it's not like my emotional work happened overnight. And so there are going to be a lot of times as you try to change your mindset that you're gonna fall back um, into old habits and um, not show up in the way that you wanted or kind of miss an opportunity. It's really important to let yourself know that that's okay. Um, and like to at least acknowledge that that did happen, figure out how you could have done better the next time. Um, and then just the next time that you have the choice then try to make the better mm -hmm. choice. Yeah, I really resonate with both that you just mentioned. Naming feelings is a skill that seems very basic, but it's not at least for my own experience, my parents never really prioritized naming feelings. It wasn't taught as like a specific skill to have, to be able to name your own feelings. And I think it's such a critical skill because just like you said, once you name something, you can then start really addressing it. If you don't identify or name or define what's going on, it's really hard to address the situation. And then also I think just there's a barrier. There's also that culture barrier where for some reason, there's a sense of duty to suppress your emotions, like emotionally sacrifice. Um, there's like something honorable about that, I feel like within my culture, but I've seen it in other cultures too. I don't know why or it has to do with just being able to survive. I don't think they had the space and privilege to care about their emotions because they were just trying to protect their family and provide for their family. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's tough because, yeah, I think to your point, our parents' generation was really about survival. Like, if your parents moved to a new country where they didn't speak the language to build a new future, my parents were just trying to, like, not get killed in Vietnam from the war. 
Um, and like they also didn't have the support system of even having their family around. They're really just like isolated on their own when they came here. Yeah, it, it makes sense why they never got the opportunity to. Um, but I think with our experiences with them, we can also see what the challenges are of never processing those emotions. Um, so it is a privilege that we have. Yeah. What are areas that you're looking to be better at when handling emotions and why? Yeah, so I think something that's still a journey or that's challenging for me is like how do you balance compassion and boundaries? The way that it shows up for me is um, like you want to be compassionate to another person and so you're like, oh, they're doing this thing that isn't great, but I'll like keep on forgiving them because I understand they're like on their journey. Um, but that can like happen again and again. And so there's a certain point where it's like, okay, like how many more chances am I going to give them um, without them, I guess, like even trying to make any meaningful change. Um, but then like going on the other end, then if you're just like, oh, that thing was wrong and like cut you out of my life. I think that's also like, quite harsh, um, but does protect your like, boundary and kind of sanity a little bit more. And so finding what that right balance is and probably the real answer is like that boundary looks different for different people in your life and depending on like, what the action is. Um, but I think it's always hard because whenever you draw some kind of boundary with someone like you like I know you've mentioned like you everyone is the bad guy in someone else's story and I feel that pressure when I draw a boundary with someone that like I will become the bad guy um but sometimes mm -hmm. that is what you mm -hmm. have to do yeah boundaries it comes off as a very selfish self-centered thing to do but i boundaries give you tools to be able to love close ones more sustainably in a way where you can honor yourself and honor others yeah yeah boundaries are talked about today is very much about putting a wall to protect yourself and so i think that's why when you draw a boundary with someone then they feel shut out from you and they feel offended by it. I think your thing about a sustainability relationship is actually like drawing that boundary is actually so that you can continue to connect and have that relationship longer term rather than like burning it out or kind of emptying your bucket just yeah. for that relationship. Um, exactly. Yeah. And before we go to the rapid fire question, I wanted you to share that analogy that you shared with me in a prior conversation about why emotional work and emotional processing could be scary. When I empathize with some of the listeners, I can imagine people just being super scared, feeling overwhelmed by this topic of emotional work and emotional processing, it just sounds very complicated. You shared that perfect metaphor that I think explains why. I'm trying to remember what that is. Yeah. Oh, is it the, the injury one? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think I was talking about how um, jumping into emotional work is really scary because you'll actually always feel worse when you start before you get better from it. Um, and so I think I was comparing it to an injury where if you have like this open wound, your instinct is to just leave it alone because it's already painful enough as it is. 
but the risk of that is you leave it leave open the risk for it to get infected and for it to get worse and so the right thing to do in that moment is actually to inflict more pain on yourself by like disinfecting it or like burning it and cauterizing it to close the wound so that then you can actually start to truly heal in a lot of ways emotional work is like that where you'll actually uncover a lot of things that you thought you were fine with and as you go through this journey you're like actually that is no longer okay with me or like I actually realize how much that messed me up or how much that truly upsets me as you draw new boundaries for yourself will create conflict with other people that you have relationships with because they're used to that boundary being something different and so it's an adjustment for them as well so there's like a lot of the conflict and turmoil that comes out of it but at the end of the day is the healthier thing to do so that you have this these like longer term more sustainable relationships with people it's gonna hurt it's gonna be so painful but it'll be worth it not even just for yourself but for the loved ones around you we didn't talk about this earlier but like the emotional processing for me is so important because it's the ultimate gift you can give to yourself and to others because for yourself it's actually a really empowering journey where you regain your agency and take control of how you show up in the world rather than being a victim to how other people show up to you or anything that can happen in the world. It's a gift to others because whether we like it or not, the way that we process our emotions and then react to situations includes the ways that we've been traumatized. The more emotional work we can do to ourselves, the less likely we can transfer that trauma to other people. And then I feel like that's the ultimate gift of really raising everyone up around you to be their best selves. It's easier said than done, right? My initial reaction to any type of like conflict or hard situations or even like my own emotions when it's like very negative, I've learned to just like suppress put it in a box, lock it away, push it deep, deep down. But I learned that that's actually created a lot more pain in my life and a lot more confusion. It took a lot of like really challenging things in my life to then realize like my emotions are worth it to work through. Um, But it's a journey. It's a freaking hard journey. Yeah, you have to have like the long long, The long (laughs) ass view, the freaking long view. (laughs) But I'm thankful to have you um, just in my life. And I know I lean into you and lean into your wisdom so much. And I just appreciate having you on my podcast. Uh, But before I let you go, a few rapid fire questions that I'll be asking all of my guests. Question one, what is a message or theme that keeps showing up in your life? Um, Definitely drawing boundaries is something that shows up a lot. Um, We think about boundaries a lot of like, you need to draw like the circle around you closer to protect yourself. But I've also found it helpful in the view of trying to expand my circle too, in terms of like pushing myself out of my comfort zone and really expanding kind of what I do or how I show. What is something new you learned about yourself in the last year? Yeah, so recently I learned that I like don't know what fills my energy bucket anymore. 
a lot of the things that I used to enjoy was like like listening to these educational podcasts and doing a lot of like research into certain things. Um, but lately I like found that that's actually just like tiring because I'm just like so tired normally. <laughs> um, so that's kind of something I'll be focusing on in the next year, kind of relearning and discovering that part of myself. What is the source of encouragement for you when things are rough? I'm like heavily motivated by reducing future regret. I don't know if that's an anxious introvert thing. Um, so for me, like when things are tough, I think about how like one, there will be a time in the future where I look back and this pain and difficulty is not going to feel as intense as it does in this moment. Um, and so then I tell myself, like, how can I make the future me proud of how I show up in this moment or on like the more negative side, I guess, is like, what would the future me regret about how I show up? Regret is powerful. I lean into that too. Okay, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for your time, me too. And happy belated. Your last year in your 20s. <laughs> Thank you, Jenna. All right, bye. <laughs>